Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome in to the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. And uh, I think this is a, a historic episode. I think this is our first sans sam dykstra episode i could be entirely wrong on that maybe we did one before but uh my name is tyler Ron, joined by benjamin hill from new york city have we ever had one without uh the dulcet tones of sam dykstra i'm trying to think you know there's been so many episodes i feel like this must have happened at some point yeah, at some point uh it's always off thing- like gallivanting around like oh sam's in scotland now over the off season whatever like he's got a, he's got a cool life i feel like at some point we had to have done it when he was absent the absent podcast uh you know uh creator slash host I couldn't yeah i mean his term. life we we can sam lives a life that most of us can only envy and when he's doing these things and having these great experiences all over the globe that you know yeah, most of us can only dream about uh sometimes it leaves the lesser folks such as us to, to pick up the slack but that's okay we all aspire to Sam Dykstra in our own way, and uh, we certainly miss him on this episode, and yet we will soldier through, perhaps not even just soldier through, but um, thrive, elevate, transcend, reach new heights. Without the the dead weight of Sam Dykstra dragging us down. (laughs) (laughs) Getting Sam, we love you. Um, So yeah, it's a a different feel episode for this week's edition of the show before the show, but we still got a ton coming up for you as uh, thanks as always to all of you for tuning in. I feel like the last six months or so, I have heard so much more often. I think I mentioned this on an episode last week, two weeks ago, but so much more often from people like, oh man, I listen to the show before the show every week, you and, and Ben and Sam and, you know, Ghost of the Miners is great and blah, blah, blah. It's just, for whatever reason, it feels like people are, um, they've been tuned in for a while, obviously, but they are very actively telling us that they enjoy the show. And that's pretty cool. I'm never going to not be excited about getting your compliments. I have very weak self-esteem. It's very nice for me. You and me both, Tyler. I love it. Keep the compliments coming. Yeah. Uh, I always appreciate hearing from listeners. That's something that I've mentioned before, but that I picked up on over the last couple of years, visiting ballparks. Um, you know, for years it was like, ah, the blogger, I read your blog. And um, now, of course, the blog doesn't exist, but I will always be identified in, in, in the mind of the minor league baseball fan as the blogger, which is fine. Uh, but in recent years, more and more, it's been like, oh, yeah, I started uh, reading your stuff after the podcast or I listen to the podcast every week. And, uh, yeah, we really do uh, appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And as I said, um, it, Tyler and I both have really weak self-esteem, actually. True. So it is true. Uh, you know, we're working on it uh, you know, separately. These are separate. It's a constant process. 
Yeah, uh, but you know, please feel free to boost it at any point. Yeah, always, any any time that you would like to uh, to send along kind words, um, Ben and I will never turn them down. Uh, but no, it is really cool uh, getting a chance to hear from so many people who have tuned into the show uh, and uh, and enjoy the show. You can always get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com. Uh, let us know your questions, the the burning things you would like to know about here in this 2021-22 off season. And uh, speaking of that, speaking of the off season. There is a, a little form of familiarity in this offseason here in 2021 as the winter meetings uh, are underway in Orlando, Florida this week. And that is something that we did not get to say in 2020. Um, there is a very important thing to note about the winter meetings, which is something that we have discussed every time we have discussed the winter meetings. Uh, historically, traditionally, and always a minor league baseball event. Obviously, the winter meetings in recent years have become – the transaction show on the major league side. And of course, right now uh, with the lockout currently underway in major league baseball, uh, not any transactions happening, but that kind of returns the winter meetings uh, to the roots of what they were always uh, in, designed to be. And this year, uh, a little different in the fact that there is no major league aspect to them, uh, but still certainly a ton of stuff going on on the minor league side. Ben, you've attended more winter meetings uh, than the rest of us probably combined on the staff. And you have been uh, somebody who's gotten to see it grow and change and evolve over the years. Give us kind of some of your winter meetings uh, memories from, you know, when you first went down to then becoming Ben's biz, being somebody who got to present awards and, um, you know, give talks and all of that. What have the winter meetings meant to you? Yeah, uh, it is a really important event, yeah, as you said, especially from the minor league baseball side. Um, you know, this year is, is is quite a bit different, and um, two minor league centric aspects of it are not happening at this year's um, the job, uh, the job secret fair, the PBEO job fair, and also the trade show, which is. Um, something I wish the public could have access to because it's just a giant room filled with like all of your baseball needs in one place. And uh, really eye-opening when you think about all the, the goods and services and products that, and uh, you know, you can book touring acts and everything, but everything that it takes to run a baseball team um, under one roof, it, it really helps to illuminate uh, how many choices have to be made on a purchasing level year after year. Um, yeah. But for me, the winter meetings, um, you know, I started this job in 2005. I mean, just part-time night shift hourly and, uh, you know, my niche, what I now call the business of or the business and culture of minor league baseball, you know, that grew incidentally, you know, first with the, you know, the blog and writing about promotions, but long story short, I started to feel like I have to get to a winter meetings because I'm getting to know all these people through email and phone calls and I'm covering the industry in a way that had never really been done before. And, this is just really important for me to, to show my face and, you know, prove to people I'm, you know, real essentially, um, you know, as I was developing this career that didn't really have a specific precedent. And, uh, you know, I was already, uh, you know, about 30 years old and, um, you know, needed this to hit, you know, if I could really justify continuing to live in New York city, I was, uh, not to get into my whole personal situation at the time, but, uh, you know, I was in a transitional place and really starting to feel like I, I didn't know, um, you know, what was going to work for me, my long-term viability living in New York City, if baseball writing was going to be a thing. So the winter meetings wasn't the only important step in that, but it felt really overly important for me to be there. In 2007, I was still part-time, so I wasn't officially, um, you know, going with company backing, but a coworker. Um, 
had a uh, hotel room and said, hey, you can crash with me if you just make it on your own. And I, I just made the arrangements on my own and had no clue what I was doing or, or how it all worked. But it was so important for me. That was 2007 in Nashville at the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Um, and just being like, wow, this is the biggest hotel I've ever been in. And uh, it's very easy to get lost in that hotel. I went to three or four more winter meetings in Nashville. And I remember back then I was younger, you know, a little more raw, more contrarian. I remember then being upset, like, ah, oh, we're in this cool city like Nashville. And we all just spend all this time in a hotel. And when there's events outside the hotel, they're in these big, like, you know, not soulless, but, um, you know, tourist centric oversized places that don't give a sense of, you know, the character community. And I was really negative, but then as the years went by and just really appreciating the scale of the event, I thought, well, of course, where there's only a few places really in the country that could handle the winter meetings at full swing, you know, as it had been during those years with so many people from, you know, all of minor league baseball, you know, 160 teams at that time, people from all throughout major league baseball, the trade show, the job fair, um, you know, just the amount of space, the endless league meetings and, uh, you know, business seminars, just so to have all these ballrooms and conference rooms and, and, uh, you know, huge, huge, um, you know, forums to have things like the trade show, you need something large and maybe a little impersonal. And I started to just appreciate the sheer logistics and the reality behind, um, scheduling and staging that event. Um, so always uh, really important for me, 2008, I went again, uh, kind of in an unofficial part-time, uh, status in Las Vegas. And then 2009 was my first entirely legit, um, you know, finally got full-time uh, winter meetings. And that was in Indianapolis, the first and I think only time that the winter meetings were in Indianapolis. But that was a really special winter meetings for me because um, I'd finally, you know, said, made this into what I could now legitimately call a career. And the winter meetings be at the end of the event or the, at the end of the year, uh, when I felt really finally like I was finding a true foothold with this career, uh, I remember just having um, just feeling really good about myself <laughs> during those winter meetings. Uh, I remember I, I had my disc man with me and I remember walking through the cold in this uh, like springtime jacket. I hadn't even brought a winter jacket to the event and I was listening to a, a ACDC mix CD my friend gave me and I was walking through Indianapolis uh, in the snow in a very light jacket blasting. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll and having a little moment to myself one night in Indianapolis like, yeah, man, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, but you're getting there, buddy. You're getting there. Uh, so the winter meetings, it does and the, that it's the end of the year in the entire industry. It does take on an outsized you know, importance just since the only chance you really get to see all these people and uh then like a lot of things at first it was like oh my goodness i'm going to the winter meetings and then as the years went by it became more of a routine like oh the winter meetings oh we're back in orlando oh it's in dallas this time san diego got thrown in the mix so always great to go to those locales and you know explore where i could with the the limited time and uh you know there was a real rhythm to it all those years um you know with the trade show with the job fair with the uh business seminars with the, you know, speeches that were kind of a state of the industry, kind of like presidential address from then minor league baseball president, Pat O'Connor. Um, you know, there was a real rhythm to him through the years and then bam, COVID no winter meetings in 2020 and then bam, reorganization of minor league baseball, uh, you know, now, you know, under the more direct control of major league baseball, um, 120 teams, and uh, then with the lockout this year as well, um, definitely a different sort of event, but it, it, I think it's great that it's still happening. And I was hoping to go, but 
still being on parental leave and uh, being in dad mode, it was just a little tough to uh, pull off this time around. So that was a uh, kind of long and rambling and perhaps overly personal uh, summation of the, the winter meetings and uh, what they are and what they've meant to me. Well, this time around, uh, we are going to head to the winter meetings in a virtual sense. Kelsey Anakin will join us. She's down there uh, this year covering the event. What have you heard from kind of people around the industry as far as it's so different this year, but it also kind of just gets to be turned back into, um, you know, the things that it uh, originally was um, as a minor league baseball event. Have you heard from people about um, what it feels like this year, especially without the major league component in the first, you know, COVID era winter meetings of, uh, of the world? Yeah, so abnormal in a lot of ways, but at the same time, you know, winter meetings have been held at the Swan and Dolphin, um, you know, on Walt Disney World property in Orlando, Florida. So people who have been in the industry for a little while have, you know, been to winter meetings there in the past. You know, the hallways and the ballrooms and the grounds around the hotel are kind of a familiar environment. So I think that's the sense I've been getting from the the couple people I've talked to or interacted with online um, is that as much as that's sort of, uh, you know, to revert to cliche, the more things change, the more they stay the same type of feeling that after all this, you know, we're back in a familiar location, seeing still a lot of the same people uh, who are, you know, in the industry and, you know, finding their way forward and uh, being uh, chances to get together again with, you know, a little bit of a new context in a lot of ways, but um, it, it's a great place to uh, see people in a familiar environment. And, you know, as you know, with minor league baseball, uh, lots of movement in that industry as people build their career going from one team to another. So people know each other from, you know, stints with other teams and uh, you have a real chance to reconnect. And I think that's an important thing. So that's where we're going to head to the winter meetings in Orlando, Florida. Kelsey Hannigan joins the show next. Here on the show before the show podcast, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tyler Mon and I, Ben Hill, are joined by someone who is actually attending the baseball winter meetings, I believe just about getting ready to uh, fly back home to New York City, but on the ground in Orlando, our very own Kelsey Hennigan. Kelsey, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice and sunny here in Orlando, so that is nice. Yeah, and this is your very first winter meetings? Yes, it's my first one, so I don't really have anything to compare it to, but I've heard it's very different than all the normal uh, or past winter meetings. Well, yeah, this is your new normal now. And, uh, you know, since you're the only one there, at least among the three people on this Zoom screen right now, we want to know how it went. But to start, um, tell us, you know, for those who might not know, you're a very you know, familiar face to MILB.com readers, do a lot of social media but uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, just so people who somehow don't know you uh, will have a little sense of uh, who Kelsey is. Uh, yeah, I've been at MLB.com since 2013, started off uh, as a reporter and a writer, and then I switched over to focus more on social media in 2016. And so I mostly focus on social media for MLB, and then now I also help with the social media for MLB Pipeline. 
um, because I started out with the you know reporting editorial side, I still write some stories here and there. Um, so at the winter meetings this year is a good mix of you know posting, but also doing interviews and writing a story. Excellent, and no stranger to the show before the show podcast either for the longtime listeners. Well, yeah, Orlando, the baseball often. winter meetings. Yeah. Uh, you know, as Tyler and I talked about at the top of the show, a uh, very different event this year, uh, this time around. Tell us what your experience has been, how it's organized, uh, the type of events you've been attending, highlights. You know, we'll leave the floor open to you to talk about uh, the winter meetings in the year 2021. Yeah, it's really interesting because I guess I didn't know what to expect. I knew that there wasn't a major portion. I knew that there wasn't going to be the trade show and the job fair, which are the biggest events um, that people talk about. Um, But it was really more of a seminar and just a way for people to present new ideas for minor league baseball for minor league GMs and owners to get together and kind of talk over their shared experiences and um, their collective knowledge about how to run minor league teams. So that was really interesting. Um, It started off with an award show and one of the things that Kurt Hunsaker, who's the VP of baseball of minor league baseball ops, um, one of the things that he wanted to do was talk to teams and say, what do you like about the winter meetings? What do you not like about the winter meetings? And a lot of them said to get rid of the gala um, or the gala. And so instead, in a way to still do the golden bobbleheads, to still do these awards that focus on front offices and promotions and you know reward minor league teams for their successes. Um, they did an award show that Kurt likes to describe as ESPY style. Um, but it was very relaxed. You know, people were in jeans. They, you brought your beer up stage, on stage to like either present the award or receive the award. It was very much like a relaxed casual, but still a good environment to like get to know people. Like the tables weren't set up like big round circles, like at a wedding, it was more bar stools and like smaller tables and like cocktail type of situation. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And just the winter meetings in general was cool because, you know, minor league teams and employees have so much apparel with their logo on it. So like you always could see where someone worked. You didn't have to like be staring at their credential to see where they're from. You could just like look at their shirt and it's just such a cool collection of people that you've always, you know, either heard their names or see them on Twitter or maybe do a phone interview, but now they're actually all in the same room. Kelsey, this season, we've heard from so many uh, front office staff members around minor league baseball that like the 2021 season kind of felt like a dress rehearsal for 2022, getting back into operations and promotions and and game day uh, entertainment and all of that uh, after missing the season entirely in 2020. What has the sentiment sort of been like um, from all these people who were gathered for the first time in a couple of years, looking forward to a, a season next year that hopefully is normal or as close to the old normal as we're going to get um, and coming out of a season that I know is kind of exhausting, but also felt exhilarating for people being able to be back in ballparks. Yeah, I mean, that's the sense everyone shared was that it was a rush. It was, you know, an intense season that didn't start till May and it went into October for the first time for many teams. Um, but they're happy it happened and they were happy to have fans. And now they're just excited that next year they'll actually be able to have full capacity um, all year round. Um, like you said, this year was we called it as year zero. Um, and so October 4th, the day after the season was over, was when the year one began because all the prep has already begun. You know, the winter meetings is the unofficial transition from reviewing the past season to preparing for the next season. So 
they're already talking about promotions. They're already talking about um, new initiatives. I know a couple months ago, we announced the Marvel Defenders of the Diamond initiative, which has, I think, 96 or 98 teams um, having a new promotion with Marvel and being able to promote that. So they talked a lot about that. Um, I talked at a social media seminar about how teams can, you know, further continue their brand storytelling on social media. Um, so yeah, it's definitely the, okay, next year we get to fully do it, especially, you know, these teams signed 10 year uh, relationships or agreements with their new affiliates. So, you know, they're going to start being able to do more things like, Hey, all of the Cubs prospects, let's get on a conference call. Let's see what we're doing. Or club Cubs affiliates, I should say. Um, and so it's pretty exciting that they are really getting into that group. That is uh, one difference in 2021, especially compared to seasons past. It used to be, you know, three-year player development contracts and some years, I think, even two-year player development contracts. To be now in a, a circumstance where there is so much stability for minor league baseball teams going forward uh, with their parent clubs, with their affiliations, with their fellow uh, minor league family members, how has that changed the way that teams do things? Like you said, you can get a whole organization together now knowing, okay, from now through 2029, we're all going to be on the same page, pulling on the same end of the rope for the same organization. How has that changed things versus what you've heard from people in years past? I think that you can buy in a little more to the organization. Um, like Beloit's uh, rebrand recently, they're using a lot of the Marlins colors. I think that, you know, that has always been something that teams do, but I think that there was always a little trepidation if they were just going to change affiliates in two years or five years. Um, and now they like have that, they can really buy into the family, into the brand. Um, and yeah, I mean, like we talked about, or I know you guys talked about before about minor leaguers getting housing. And that's something that like they can really work with their parent club to get that housing situation situ um, situated. <laughs> and like stuff like that, of just kind of making the facilities better. You know, it, like I said, they're working with their parent clubs more than they ever have. Well, Kelsey, this year's winter meetings is obviously a much smaller event um, than years past, uh, entirely minor league baseball centric. But you're still in uh, Orlando, still on the, the Disney World uh, grounds, um, still just a really unique event in terms of, uh, you know, the people from the industry that you run into, as well as uh, just the larger surroundings. Uh, what has it been like uh, being in, in Orlando and uh, just what the event is like, you know, aesthetically speaking? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool being in Orlando, being on Disney property. I grew up in Central Florida, just an hour south in Melbourne. Um, so I very much am a Disney kid. I was joking the other day that I never really was a Disney fanatic because I was able to take it for granted, which sounds kind of obnoxious, but I grew up in Central Florida by Disney World and then moved to Southern California with Disneyland. So it's just always been there. So except for now that I live in New York. So it was nice to have that familiar touch um, of places that I would go to as a kid and now seeing it like, as an adult and seeing it in a work environment. So just having that vibe. Um, and then just the winter meetings in general was just such a fun experience. I know that it, you know, it's still a couple hundred people, but it felt intimate. Like I would still see the same people um, walking down the halls. You know, if I interviewed someone and then the next day I would see them and so that was pretty cool to kind of get a familiar, familiarity with these people because you're in, you know, this certain set of conference rooms and this a lobby bar and just walking between the two all the time. And during your stay in Orlando, 
Um, you talk to, of course, a lot of people around the industry, uh, some of which, uh, some of whom you interviewed. And uh, we've got an interview with uh, that you did coming up shortly. So if you could set that up for us, and uh, that'll be the next segment on the show before the show. Yeah, uh, I talked to Kennedy Shul of the Eugene Emerald. She's the director of tickets. This was her first year, and she uh, won the award for Future Star, which is for um, minor league baseball employees, team employees that are ages 25 or younger. So it was really interesting to get her take on being a part of such a, you know, historic industry that has kind of been around for so long. And it very easily could be the same departments that it always has been, but there's definitely been a push for diversity and for new creative ideas. You know, minor league baseball in general always is coming up with creative new ideas. So it was interesting talking to someone who is bringing that young uh, ideas. Well, that interview is coming up next. And in the meantime, Kelsey, thanks for joining us and uh, safe travels back from Orlando, assuming you've decided not to just set up permanent residency in Disney World. Uh, No, I I don't think I could afford that, but that would be nice. Uh, Thank you for having me. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Hennigan with MLB.com and I'm here with Eugene Emerald's ticket director, Kennedy Schul. And we are here at the winter meeting. So first of all, just what's this winter meeting's been like for you so far? Yeah, it's really been interesting. Um, I had heard a lot of stories from my coworkers who had been in the past um, and I didn't really know what was going to be coming into it. Obviously, right before there was news that like the MLB side was canceled, mm-hmm. but to me, it's just like the first time, so it's all pretty new and exciting, and um, it's been great. You know, people are really positive and so willing to like want to connect and want to help. So, been loving learning and all the seminars, and then connecting afterwards. And again, everybody's just so um, open to wanting to help you on your path. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I know your week got started in a very exciting way, being named the Future Star Award winner, um, which for those who don't know, it's for uh, employees 25 years or younger. So what was that like when you heard your name get called? <laughs> um, it was, it was, it's hard to explain, um, you know, kind of incredible, exciting, scary all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was definitely I'll, I know, I'll be honest, I, I did really want to win when we submitted. I, mm-hmm. I had worked really, really hard, and I was mm-hmm. excited about it, and I was proud of it. And so hearing my name called, it, it was um, kind of one of those perfect end stones to the whole journey that had happened the past year. Um, and then I was also just really nervous because I was sitting in the back of the room, and I was like, don't trip on the way up to the stage. <laughs> I don't think you did, right? <laughs> no, so, no, I did so not. That's good. Um, now, I think I noticed that the last few winners of this award are all female. Um, what do you think that says about the industry, that all these future stars are women? Yeah, I I think there's definitely a growing trend of women seeing that they can enter sports and that they can achieve things in sports, which hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, we've had a lot of great examples and role models starting to pop up in like these really high levels, which is incredible. And it just kind of gives, um, you know, younger women like myself or even younger women who are in high school or college kind of the even idea that this is possible for them. Um, and when you give women the opportunity, you know, they're going to they're gonna do great things with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that you're the director of tickets. What does that mean? What's a day like for you? <laughs> 
Um, well, as many people know, uh, there is no like one typical day in minor yeah. league baseball, but I handle all of the ticket operations. Um, I manage the sales staff or ticket sales for um, like season tickets, mini plans, and group outings. Um, and I make sales myself. Um, I also have um, kind of a passion for kind of like data and business intelligence. Mm-hmm. Not that I have any formal training in it, but I do like to spend time um, you know, digging into our team's data, looking at what we can do better, what we can do with it, and trying to teach myself things that can make it um, easier for me to analyze that data. Is there any data points that especially stuck out recently for you? Um, I mean, more so just how much untapped data that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you just take a little time to look through you know, your ticket system where your single game purchasers are, you can find so many people that have been attending so many games that we've never called or that mm-hmm. have never had a ticket plan. And it's a great opportunity to give them a call and just say, hey, you mm-hmm. know, try and save some money and join the Emeralds family. Try, you know, a five-game mini plan or an mm-hmm. eight-game, you know, things like that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I also saw on your bio, your bio, you're the conscious monitor of the yeah. office. What does that mean? Um, I'm, you know, from a younger generation, mm-hmm. I'm very passionate um, about women in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and so minor league baseball can sometimes make jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and so generally I'm the one who reminds them of, um, you know, the politically correct mm-hmm. thing to do. Uh, it's a very important job. So yes. It's good that you have that too. Yeah, no, they're they're awesome. They're great. Um, but we're all we're all learning as we mm-hmm. go, and that's kind of you know we we engage in those conversations in the office, and so yeah. sometimes they ask me just from my experience. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then obviously this season was pretty crazy for many reasons. I know it's your first year too. Uh, what was it like for you? It was. Um, <laughs> It was it was crazy, definitely the word to put it. Um, you had no idea what to expect going into it or coming out of it. Um, kind of a testament to the pandemic with everything changing all the time. Uh, personally, I had no experience in ticket ops going into it. So I had to teach myself ticket ops and to be a director of tickets while managing the pandemic. So it was it was pretty difficult. Um, and it, it was a pretty big toll, you know, like mentally and with the stress, just trying to keep everything together as COVID guidelines were constantly changing. And um, But in the end, everything kind of worked itself out, and, and it was pretty good. Yeah, that's great. And I know, obviously, Eugene moved up to high eight this year. Um, did you notice any differences with that? Yeah, um, that's more so what I've heard from my coworkers. Um, in the past, I had just been an intern, and I spent most of my time in the box office, so I didn't really go into the ballpark much. Um, but they said, you know, we had the first time that they were kind of practicing, and we were, you know, kind of watching from afar, you know, and there was just a noticeable difference in like the skill and the ability, mm-hmm. and like this is this will be a good year. Yeah. So, well, I'm sure even just May baseball in Oregon, uh, what's that like? Yeah, well, we never quite got the true experience um, because, you know, the season was kind of pushed back and then um, we were at a very, very reduced capacity. Mm-hmm. So there's baseball, but it was mostly just kind of like the players playing and then we could have some fans in the ballpark. 
it'll definitely be interesting this upcoming season. We have three homestands in May, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be tight. Um, something that we're learning, but something mm-hmm. that we're excited to kind of take the challenge on to bring baseball in the spring to our fans. Definitely. Um, was there a moment, though, where it did start to feel normal uh, this season? Yeah, I think um, it's had to have been sometime in June or July, and I think it was our Grateful Dead night. Um, and as some people may know, Grateful Dead is very big in like the Eugene community. Um, and we had like one of our largest crowds out for that summer. Um, and it's just kind of that energy when people are filling the concourse, you know, as a staff member, when you can barely walk through the concourse, you know, it's a full ballpark. Everybody's laughing and enjoying and there's a different tone to the air that you're like okay this is it this is baseball this is summer Mm -hmm. that makes sense did you grow up going to minor league games I went to a few yeah I grew up in Eugene Mm -hmm. so the Eugene Emeralds are my hometown team Um, I was very young when they were at Civic uh, so I vaguely remember (laughs) attending a game there and then I went to a couple when I was older at PK um so yeah, I, I played softball growing up, so I spent most of my summers playing softball yeah, rather than, than watching. Yeah, that is still pretty cool though that you're now a part of the team you watched. Yeah, I know it's definitely, a, there's a lot of really cool kind of full circle moments that, that happen in life and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, definitely. All right, well I think that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I, the only thing I would say is, uh, you know, I'm honored to receive this award, but I also want to acknowledge that there was a privilege that I had to be able to work for the Emeralds without getting paid like a lot of people could not do during the pandemic. So it's something I'm very aware of that, um, you know, this was achieved in part because, you know, I had a certain level of privilege to be able to do this. that A lot of people couldn't that, you know, are still doing great and amazing things out there. Yeah, well, that's great that you're able to recognize that and say that out loud. Yeah. And again, more of the conscious monitor. We need that. So. <laughs> yeah. More women in minor league baseball. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host. Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a real-life oddity. The others are the imaginings of an odd ball. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Benton Harbor Orange Wires. B. The Pine Point Goose Gunners. C. The Fort Walton Beach Jets. Although their name seems no less a random assortment of nouns than A or B, C. The Fort Walton Beach Jets took off in the Class D Alabama Florida League from 1953 to 1962. Lest you take them for the Beach Jets of Fort Walton, the club was in fact the Jets of Fort Walton Beach, a Florida panhandle fishing village about an hour by automobile from today's Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Changing its name from Camp Walton to Fort Walton in the 1930s, the town took on its ultimate form by adding Beach to the moniker midway into the Jets' first season. 
still, the Fort Walton Beach Minor League Baseball Gang might easily have been sharks rather than jets, if not for nearby Elgin Air Force Base and Hurlburt Airfield. As it was, the Jets played with a certain propulsion, with Fort Walton Beach coasting to the semifinals in 54 and 55, the finals in 56, and the semis again in 57. A Reds affiliate in 54 and 55, the Jets got high-octane pitching out of Dizzy Higginbottom, while Dick Hicks teed off for 80 extra base hits over those two seasons. Although they were a Washington Senators affiliate from 56 to 1960, not even unforgettable infielder Modesto Zarza could make the Jets soar as they should in those years. As a Twins affiliate for the next two seasons, the Jets never really got off the ground. Attendance was also flying low, with Jets fans never exactly threatening to break the sound barrier. Ultimately, the Alabama-Florida League died the death it deserved after the 62 season as circuit officials continued to resist integration and, per the United Press, major league clubs refused to support such a policy. And that's how the Jets crash-landed. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these animal park parties played in the minors of yore? A. The Apache Junction Doglegs B. The Hamilton Pigtails C. The Portland Webfoots Want to know the answer? Consult your local zoologist. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is having a new phonograph delivered, and he needs me to keep a record. Final segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Kelsey Yenigan and Josh Jackson for all of their work. Uh, this was a, an entertaining ghost of the miners this week. It was one that I know Josh was not fully expecting the, uh, the full historical breadth of, uh, of that team when he started his research, which is what's so fascinating and cool about ghosts sometimes that it turns up um, unexpected and, you know, sometimes storylines that uh, are not the most glamorous, uh, you know, like teams that had to be shut down for uh, refusing to integrate, but fascinating stuff from uh, the history of minor league baseball. Uh, and we are just about set to uh, to wrap up this week's episode. But before we do, uh, we're talking about the history of minor league baseball. Now we're talking a little bit about the future of minor league baseball. Um, with the news this week that uh, nearly double figures in minor league baseball teams have new ownership um, as there is a, a, a kind of sea change in the model of ownership in minor league baseball going forward that had been somewhat rumored earlier on in the fall this year and now is kind of coming to fruition. Ben, I'm going to let you explain this story because you uh, kind of get the intricacies better than I do, but uh, Endeavor, Diamond Baseball Holdings, nine teams changing hands ownership-wise. Give us the lowdown. Yeah, this is a uh, story that has come out you know, very recently. As Tyler mentioned, it's been rumored for a long time, and it's still one that I don't know as much about as I'd like, and certainly one we are going to return to. Uh, in the near future. But for now, I just want to give an overview of it, that Endeavor, a global sports and entertainment company, has started a uh, a company or an umbrella uh, organization um, underneath Endeavor. Uh, they have started Diamond Baseball Holdings. And Diamond Baseball Holdings has acquired nine minor league teams, um, the Iowa Cubs, the Memphis Redbirds, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre 
Rail Riders, the Hudson Valley Renegades, the San Jose Giants, and then pending, you know, some formal approvals, uh, every team in the Atlanta Braves system, the Gwinnett Stripers, Mississippi Braves, Rome Braves, and Augusta Green Jackets. And um, there will probably be more to come on that front. And, you know, a, te- uh, a company buying this many teams, um, you know, at one time is certainly not something that's ever happened, you know, during the time I've covered minor league baseball. Uh, some of the rules have been changed to allow a company to you know, own this many teams. Uh, there used to be some restrictions in the past, including that, some, that uh, the same ownership group cannot own uh, two teams in one league. And that is no longer uh, the case right there. So still, uh, you know, kind of developing with this still in the early stages. Um, but we are looking at diamond baseball holdings, um, you know, being obviously a major player in the world of minor league baseball. I'm sure there will be a lot of things they can do to streamline uh, the organizations in terms of, you know, implementing, you know, one and you know, certain initiatives across every team in the ownership group and things like that. Um, you know, a lot still to come, a lot to be determined. As I said, a lot more that, you know, I, I need to learn about this personally, but, you know, one to acknowledge, um, that that is now the case uh, that that diamond baseball holdings now has these teams in their por- portfolio adding more and um there'll definitely be something that shapes the industry to no insignificant degree in the future um you know once they really get uh you know up and running in terms of implementing um you know their initiatives and their style of management throughout the industry yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff that we will obviously uh, stay on as the offseason continues to progress across minor league baseball and we head toward the 2022 campaign. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show uh, for our absentee creator and host, Sam Dykstra. And for Benjamin Hill, my name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week.